Welcome to Him We Proclaim, a podcast devoted to the preaching ministry of the Mount Church. Know that the following sermon is specifically intended to build up our local church in Clemson, South Carolina. Feel free to listen along and distribute what you hear, while prioritizing what we pray is the faithful preaching ministry of the healthy local church to which you meaningfully belong. With that, all grace to you as you listen to this episode of Him We Proclaim. Good morning. It's my turn, right? He is risen. All right. Amen. This morning we're going to be hearing about this from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be reading and then studying together verses 13 through 18. So there the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So, let's begin to do that with prayer. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is your word, and I pray this morning that you would bless us and you would give grace and mercy, give the Holy Spirit to press the truth of these things upon our heart in a way that really would encourage us to live for Christ, to live with hope, even when all the world is hopeless. Help us to be a people who, who believe, who trust, who look forward to the resurrection of the dead. And we thank you for the hope that we have in you. We pray now that you would help us to understand it better and to love it more. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I've recently discovered these uh, social media pages that highlight various marvels of nature. Have you seen my Facebook page recently? A lot of neat stuff, really incredible stuff, like the Alaskan wood frog. Uh, For seven months out of the year, the frog freezes. Uh, Not as in it's cold, but as in it literally is frozen. 
uh, its heart stops beating. Uh, the blood in its little body, ice cold, it no longer flows. It doesn't move at all for seven months. And uh, then the, the temperatures rise and the frog thaws out, and what does it do? Hops away. It's crazy. As if the absence of things by which we tend to measure life is actually no indication of the absence of life itself. For a time, it's really just frozen in time. And uh, to spin it our way this morning, I do think that can happen to us. We can be frozen in time, or maybe better, we can be frozen by the passage of time. What I mean is, our experience of time has a way of freezing our hearts to what's eternally in front of us. We're native right now, again, to that passage of time. We're native right now to death. We're native right now to to decay and to disease and all these kinds of things. The effect of sin in the world surrounds us. And it can be so dominant that it becomes regulative for our lives. It freezes us out from the warmth of the gospel hope that we really do have in Christ. Our outlook on things can become very discouraged. It can become frosted over with a sort of naturalistic lens. Our lives can be regulated not by the infallible, inerrant truth of Jesus, but by our fallible sense on reality. In other words, our sure faith is prone to seasons of amnesia. Uh, the truth is forgotten, and where the truth is forgotten, our hope becomes frozen when it's meant to spring eternal. And it's to the thawing out of biblical hope over death then that we have our text this morning. Uh, Paul will not let us live as if the grave gets the last word over grace. He won't let us live or die, even, without the resurrection always in view for us. My question this morning is, is it that vital to you and me, the resurrection of Christ? Are we typically encouraged people, and are we typically encouraging people by the pregnant fact that Jesus died and rose again? Let's begin in our verse 13. And first consider the need for resurrection encouragement. Paul writes, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And so the need is obvious. The need is obvious. It seems that from the time this church has been planted, some of her members have passed away so that their initial joy in Christ has given way to some kind of grief that's not exactly Christian. And to be sure, there's nothing wrong with grief. There's nothing wrong with grief that is particularly Christian. Grief that however it grapples with the gospel will not let the hope of the gospel get out of our sight. But that's not so easy in a culture that majors in hopelessness. This church here in our text was no stranger to the philosophies that pervaded her time and space. Pagan mythology, mystery religions, stoicism, 
Epicureanism, these kinds of things, they all basically taught one thing, the same thing. That when it comes to death, you're done. That's the end. It's over. Certainly your body is done. And if there is a soul, it has very little hope of comfort in places like, dream up like Elysium or Hades or whatever. Death all but marked the cessation of personal existence. You died. That was it. We're done. Their world was defined by hopelessness in the face of our mortality. And that's little changed over the years since then. Uh, I recently looked up some famous last words. Interesting thing to do. Uh, Here's a bit of a sampling. So Vincent Van Gogh, ever heard of him? Vincent Van Gogh, his last words before he passed into another world, the sadness will last forever. Alfred Hitchcock, one never knows the ending. Frank Sinatra, his last words in this world, I'm losing. Queen Elizabeth I, fashion queen of the 1500s, her last words, oh my God, it's over. It's over. The end. And as we live among that kind of thing, as we live in the same sinful, hope-deprived world, it's hard to entirely avoid having our gospel lenses muddied, our hearts frozen over. So there's an older mom type in my life, she's a great Christian woman, who just lost her husband, relatively young. And uh, she's been grieving, understandably. And she visited his grave the other day, posting a picture of his grave and then hers right beside it. He was now in that grave, his body was, and she was standing atop her own uh, with a one-word description of the picture, reality. But, however that may be, that is actually not reality, ultimately. Death may come for us all, but death will not be all in all. And she knows that. She knows that. That's just the thing, right? That's just the thing. Particularly in our grief, we can lose sight of what we know to be true. We can become discouraged. And no question, she needs to grieve. Uh, in fact, I would say that she, she must grieve. She must lament. That's only good and right and natural. That's the path to hope. Uh, but Paul would also say she needs to be encouraged. She needs to be encouraged in her grief by certain truths of the gospel. She needs to grieve with faith. She needs to grieve in hope. And so one of the great stories I've discovered lately is of a young lady named Brooklyn. She's recently left this world for the better one at the age of 25. But what was so compelling about her case is she knew she was dying for quite some time. And so she redeemed that time for us. She started a Facebook page called Brooklyn's Journey Home in which she chronicled her her final months. She she chronicled her dying days, uh, her going home. You see, Brooklyn, by all accounts, was a lovely believer in Jesus. So here are some of her last 
words as you have them on the Facebook page. Quote, I know what dying feels like. Again, 25 years old. I know what dying feels like. I've been on the path many times before. Other times the goal was to fight and survive. But this time, I realized my real goal is to die and survive. To obtain eternal life. And I have Jesus. And therefore, I have all I need for that. And it was her practice then to invite the world through her dying to Him. (laughs) Brooklyn grieved. She grieved for herself, just not as those do who have no hope. Christ was front and center. So, the great man John Owen is known to have written on his deathbed uh, that if we would die well, we must have the glory of Christ ever in our sights. And so, in fact, as he himself came to the close of this life, he wrote one of the great books of history called The Glory of Christ. And in the preface of that book, this is what he says. He says, it is a woeful kind of life. A woeful kind of life. Men scrambling for poor, perishing reliefs in their distresses. When there is one universal cure. The continual contemplation by faith of the glory of Christ in His person, His office, His grace. That alone, he says, will carry us cheerfully, comfortably, and victoriously through life and even through death. How can the soul be peaceably launched into eternity, into an invisible world, he asks. How can we resign ourselves trustingly into the hands of God? In that hour? How can we be ready and willing to part with this life and this world and for a time this body? How can we part with everything we know? How can we be happy to comply with that appointment whenever and however that appointment might be? Only, he says, by faith's view of Christ and his glory, which satisfies us that to be with him. is incomparably better than our present state and condition. Okay, so, that's what we want to do now. We want to get a view of Christ's glory, specifically related to His resurrection from the dead. We need that kind of encouragement. And so Paul gives it to us. He gives us this supply of resurrection encouragement starting In verse 14, if you want to look there. And first, he says, we believe that Jesus died, and that's the end of it. No. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And don't let that that's a statement of faith 
obscure that it's a matter of fact. Okay? Paul does not want them to be uninformed. So he gives them not opinion, not wishful thinking, but information. He gives them fact. He gives them truth. And perhaps you roll your eyes at all of that and say to yourself, come on now. Aren't we past all of this? Haven't we debunked the supernatural? Aren't we a little old for fairy tales and whatnot? Don't we know better? But I'd ask you, do you know Paul? Can you account for him? Here's what I mean. Paul started out as a bloodthirsty persecutor of the church. And he looked to have a burgeoning career in that as well. In fact, you may know, after authoring Stephen's martyrdom, Paul was earnestly on his way to round up another batch of Christians to put them in the ground. Only you know what happened, don't you? It's in Acts chapter 9. How mid-stride he was confronted by Jesus. Okay, what's the big deal about that? Here's the big deal. The big deal is that this occurred after Jesus had been crucified. (laughs) This occurred after Jesus had died. This occurred after Jesus had been buried. In other words, the Jesus that met Paul on the road to Damascus was the risen Jesus. It was the risen Jesus. And as the light about him got within him, as the risen Christ raised his own soul, Paul was never the same again. How could he be? And so this great persecutor of the church became the great preacher of Christ. That is incredible. But that's not all. He would preach the gospel of this risen Jesus all the way to a beheading. And not to slight him, ahead of that, he says he was scourged five times. That's what Jesus endured once. Paul was scourged five times. He was beaten three times with rods. He was stoned once, and it was so bad, they thought he was dead. For the gospel of the risen Lord, he endured three shipwrecks, as many of you know, that is my worst nightmare, three shipwrecks, a full day adrift at sea, no thank you, danger in every conceivable place, not least from people in the church who were counterfeits. We're not done. He also recounts many, he says, many a sleepless night, starvation on the one hand, dehydration on the other hand, and what sounds like frequent encounters with near frostbite, but at least exposure to the elements. Paul was often a homeless man for Jesus. And all this, when he had it made, for what? Why would you do that? Why would you go through all that stuff? Acts chapter 23, verse 6, he sums it up for us. He says, Paul this, that is, uh, it's all with respect, all with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. Not, he doesn't say the cross. He says the resurrection. 
that I'm on trial, that I'm mocked, and so on, Acts 17.32. And so let me just ask us, as reasonable people, do you think a man would continue on as Paul does and countless others have, preaching the risen Lord, if he knew, absolutely knew, that it was all a lie? People don't just do that. Do you not think if that were so, somewhere in there between the forfeiture of his earthly prospects and the forfeiture of his head, he might have quit on it. He might have ratted Jesus out. Sorry, I can't do that. I can't go that far. But he does not do that. He could not do that. He had been met by the risen Jesus. And he had been saved by the risen Jesus. Jesus. And so even here in our text, you see that Paul is unyielding on this point. He says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. The full weight of many lifetimes worth of apostolic suffering needs to be felt in that enduring statement of truth. And as it is true, it changes everything. You realize that, right? It changes everything. Friend, I'll be straight with you. If 2,000 years ago the stone was not rolled away, the cross of Christ was no different than the cross of the criminals crucified beside Him, though His crime was far worse than theirs. If Jesus was not raised, It's not as if he can still serve as a role model. That doesn't work. If he's not raised, he is the greatest deceiver the world will ever know. If he's not raised, there is no gospel. If he's not raised, Christianity is a lie. If he's not raised, we are, he says, Paul says, of all people, most to be pitied because we've spent our life on that lie. So if he's not raised, let's just call it off. We can all go home and live our lives in utter nihilism. So what I want to say is, praise God then, that that is not in the slightest way a lie. It is absolutely a fact of history. Jesus died and rose again. And so, Paul would just say, they say, to the rack with Him. Okay? Jesus died and rose again. Alright? To the prison cell with Him. Jesus died and rose again. To the open seas with it. Jesus died and rose again. Okay? To the frosty air with it. Jesus died and rose again. We can't get the guy to shut up about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, let's just cut his head off. Put him on the chopping block. What do you have to say now, Paul? I say Jesus died and rose again. Friends, Jesus died for our sins. And He was buried. But then God vindicated Him as Lord and Christ and Savior of sinners by way of victory over death. We call it the resurrection of Jesus. Dear ones, do not be uninformed. Be encouraged by the truth. 
with divine reason we believe Jesus died and rose again. That second part that changes everything is absolutely true. Let's believe it. Let's believe it, and let's believe it along with all of its promises. You see, Paul's not done in our text. His aim isn't just to leave us with Christ's resurrection, but as we are united to Christ, to bind His resurrection to our own future resurrection. You see that? Beloved, as Jesus rose again, we know, we know He will also come again. He's ascended to heaven, and He will descend from heaven. And when He does, He will gloriously attend to His own dead or alive. So look at verse 16 and be encouraged by it. Paul says, The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with a sound of the trumpet of God. The King is going to return. The King is going to return. And as to its certainty, we need apply no other method than we just did for His resurrection. Along with the trustworthiness of the testimony we have in God's inerrant word, people saw the risen Jesus. Lots of people. And they then saw that risen Jesus ascend into heaven. People who would go on to experience the advantage of it, to change the world by its reality, and then lose their lives, all of them by martyrdom, without nary a hint ever of turning back from it. Again, how could they? It was undeniably true. And just so, as Christ really ascended, I want you to hear, He will really come to us once more. You say, that is far too wild, too incredible to believe. Just wait. We're not even to the good stuff yet. Okay, there's more. But I will say, without ever shying away, you need to hear that biblical Christianity is unavoidably miraculous in nature. That is, it's happy to really believe in God as God's revealed Himself. In other words, as God's existence is rational, and it is, miracles cease to be irrational. I mean, creation is a miracle. Salvation is a miracle. Every part of Christ's gospel, the gospel that you as a Christian have believed, is miracle. Incarnation. <laughs> Sinlessness. A life of sinlessness. Perfect obedience to God. Atonement. Resurrection. Ascension. Return. New creation. It's all miracle. The true Christian, born again as they are, raised in their own souls, is a miracle. The miraculous, the existential and reasonable belief that God can actually be God, that's the brick and mortar of Christianity. It's not a thing for blushing over. It's something to proclaim to the world. So, Paul proclaims to the world that Christ will return. And he says it's going to be really loud, like nothing you've ever heard before. Especially earthquaking. 
I mean, think about this. If the trumpets of men, by the command of God, brought down the walls of Jericho, if it, if it rattled the great city down to nothing, what of these, this commanding cry of Christ, reinforced by an archangelic voice to the tune of the trumpet of Him, who by a word made the universe out of nothing? Dear ones, listen, you know, you've been to the zoo before, uh, the, the roar of a lion quickens every living thing within five miles. Did you know that? Five miles. You can hear its roar. The roar of that lightning bolt in the sky says every living hair in the wide vicinity on edge. They all rise. At least in my home, the voice of authority, earnest in love, commands the children differently. They get to move in. Better, the voice of Christ on earth, when truly unveiled, sent a living army, a mob, with like clubs and stuff, to the ground. He said, I am He, and they went down. What then of this roar? What then of this thunder? What then of this command, this unveiling? Paul tells us in verse 16. He says, the dead in Christ will rise. Wow. First. <laughs> or, as he roots it, back up in verse 14, if God raised Christ, and he means bodily from the dead, God will also, through Christ, raise the dead in Christ. Those, again, who are united to Jesus by faith, that is critical. They're going to rise. The head will not be raised without the body. And church, we are part of the body of Christ. You see? God did not raise Jesus without respect to you and me. So, though we die, sure as Christ lives, we too are going to be raised from the dead. Indeed, on that day, I want to tell you, Adam will rise with Eve. <laughs> and Noah's going to rise. And Abraham's going to rise. And Moses is going to rise. And Miriam's going to rise. And Aaron's going to rise. And David's going to rise. And Solomon's going to rise. And Esther and Ezra and Isaiah and Mary and Joseph and Peter and Paul and Luther and Lottie Moon and Augustine and Annie Armstrong, they're all going to rise. All the redeemed are going to rise when they hear this cry of Christ. The graves are going to bow out. And these folks are going to be gloriously reassembled. We have not seen the last of those dear believers who have gone before us to the grave. Far from it. Through Christ, as Paul's saying, those departed souls are going to be fitted to their bodies again. Only when that fitting happens, it is going to be immortally so. In the twinkling of an eye, he says elsewhere, they will have put on their heavenly imperishability. And so truer words have never been spoken then than that they are now but asleep. Those people that have died in Christ, they're just sleeping. In another sense of it, they're just frozen in time. Like that Alaskan wood frog 
the vitals of the body may be gone. Their bodies may be still or even scattered all over this world. I don't know, but their life is not finally gone. It's just hidden. It's just out of sight for a bit in the hands of Jesus. And when He returns, a far greater life is going to come with Him. And it's going to come to them. And they are going to rise gloriously. As with Jairus' daughter or the son of the widow in Nain or Lazarus, they are going to thaw out. (laughs) They're going to awake, as it were, never to fall asleep in that way again. And, bonus, gravity will no longer be a thing. Apparently, you see that in verse 17? You know that question, if you could, uh, if you could have any animal power in the world kind of thing? Well, listen, if you have ever said flying, like flying would be so awesome. Okay, here we go. The dead in Christ will rise first, Paul says. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Dear ones, what a thrilling thing it will be to be gathered with all the redeemed from Adam to then to meet the Lord in the air. It is a thing that is so glorious, we have really no words for it. That's why Peter says it is an inexpressible kind of glory. But you know me, I'll try my hand at it. So, this is what I'll say. For all the joy of vindication on that day, for all the joy of being adorned inside and out with salvation, not in part, but in full, of entering that long hoped for land of divine love, outfitted in a life forever free from sin and death, even over the reunion, yes, reunion and new communion of saints. Listen, the crowning joy for us all will be meeting the Lord, the lover of our souls, face to face. And so to be with Him together, always. We may have known him for many years here and how sweet the fellowship has been. I think everyone would testify. But oh, to meet the Lord like this. Beloved, can you imagine it? As his eyes catch yours. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That'll be the heaven of heaven to us. Indeed, we're told that would be what affects our change entirely. (laughs) Even from what we are now to what He died to make us for all eternity. But again, in that state, best of all, we'll be with Him. We'll be with Him always and forevermore. Uh, Vacations are coming up. We'll gather with family. Ideally, we will relish the company of loved ones, but then it will all come to an abrupt end and uh, there will be a sad separation. Or... Think of it like this. 
there is no one I love on earth more than my wife. And uh, because of that, I seek her out, right? I, I want to be with her. <laughs> her company is uh, greatest consolation to me. Uh, but it too has its kind of endings. But in this day, in this day, uh, even as she and I will rise together to an unending fellowship, that fellowship is first of all with Jesus. It's with Him who sought us out. It's with Him who alone can satisfy us. It's with our greatest friend. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. And when once we meet, we will never part again. We will always be together. Us and Him. And so to bring it home, let me just rehash it. Jesus died and rose again. And He will return. And He will raise His dead. And all His people will meet Him. And we will all be glorified. And so we will always be with Jesus. Do not be uninformed. Be persuaded of the truth. Be convicted about it. Be encouraged. And alas, with all of that, engage in the ministry of resurrection encouragement. Quickly here, our text closes with verse 18. You see that? Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul assumes we're going to need this ministry. And he doesn't keep it to himself. He's not like, yeah, this is an apostolic thing, so whatever. He lets it out to the church. It's upon us, you and me, to give vent to these words, to keep hopeful hearts by the word of an empty tomb, to meet any grief and even death with the truth that Jesus died and rose again. Dear ones, we're to share a care for one another. Do you see that here? We're to share a care for one another. And as we do, as we remind each other of these things, we will be encouraged. Courage will get in us to face the day. Whatever that brings. It will hardly be in any way like those who have no hope. We'll have peace in Christ. Lord willing, we'll have a godly life, a hopeful outlook, a love for this gathering of risen souls, a passion to see so many more souls come to faith in Christ at all costs. Chopping block, yes, Jesus died and rose again. We will be those who die to live and live to rise. Is that your experience here? Do you bring that into existence for others here? Such a sweet sound. Are we a gospel-focused people? Is, is Christ raised, not just crucified, but is Christ raised always before us? 
Do we have any grieving? Do we have any uninformed? Do we have any people here who are discouraged? Do we have any who are believing as the world believes right now? I'm pretty sure we do. But I also know that we have the medicine for that. The only medicine for that. When did you and I last encourage one another with these words? True story. Uh, I mentioned the mom type in my life. Well, between the time I started to write this sermon and the time I finished it, she found the encouragement only Jesus died and risen can give. Standing, as it were, still in between the two graves, one occupied, one waiting faith did win out. Ultimate reality settled in. And she said, Death, where is your sting? He is risen, and I am waiting. Even in her grief, she ministers hope. Let's be a church resolved to be the same as that. Let's be like tour guides of the empty tomb. So well informed about it. We lack nothing to share with the sorrowing. Are you grieving? Are you disquieted? Are you discouraged? Are you hopeless? Come on over here. Let me show you something. Come on in. Take a look. This is where Jesus lay. This right here is where the living hope lay lifeless, but only for a time. Alas, He's not here. He is risen. You have a Savior. Friend, it's not in our text, but it is all over the Bible. The unbeliever will also be raised from the dead. You too are going to have to face the righteous one. You're going to have to face Jesus. And I think you know how that's going to go. So what I want to say to you is that it can go differently than what you might think. You can turn from your sins this morning. You can trust in Jesus. You can be reconciled to God through Him. You can gain forgiveness and eternal life. You can have what the Christian has come to receive. That indestructible hope. Just come out of the world that has no hope and come to Jesus. Believe upon Him. If you want, I'd love to answer any further questions you have about it. You can just find me right after service. And we'll have a chat. I'd love to do it. Dear ones, uh, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be even elated as you walk out those doors. And what information, what truth we have to share to that effect. As one who would know puts it for us, Jesus died and rose again. So don't let time, your experience of time, freeze out the hope that really will in that day spring eternal. Keep that empty tomb always in view. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we ask now that you would do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine that you yourself, our risen Lord, would meet every heart in the room with the truth that you are, in fact, alive.
Let it change everything for everybody. We ask it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.